Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Welcome to Venue Church. Um, this is why Jesus came. This is what he said of himself. For even the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve. Came not to be served, but to serve. I've been thinking about that all week. There's huge significance in that came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many, meaning to give his life away so that you could have your life. To give his life away to pay for your sins so that you could pick up his life and have something that you don't deserve. Awake my soul and sink. I warned you in the, in the songs that we put together. I warned you, like, wake up, my soul. See, he came and he entered the world in the mood to serve. And that's why when things got hard, he still served. That's good. The mood you enter is how you'll be in it. Some people ask me, like, um, how do you come to church and you seem excited every time you come to church? Let me tell you how I get excited coming to church because I come in the mood. I didn't wait for you to come in the mood so that I'm in the mood to worship. And um, you got to understand, like, I'm a pastor's kid, so I was born under one of these chairs right there, you know. <laughs> and we used to be in church, like, some of y'all can't make it to church twice a month. Well, I, we used to be in church twice a day. Or more, depending on how much sin you had committed. No, I just made that up. We'd be in church like four or five times a week. How do you keep it fresh? Well, here's the thing. I, when you first come to church and you first enter a relationship with God or any relationship for that matter, because you're human, you enter as this thing called a consumer. Meaning, I guess I'll go and see what this does for me. You come not to serve, but you come to be served. And then you come into a worship experience sometimes, and you're not in the mood yet because you're waiting for somebody to serve you so that you can get in the mood. And I'm preaching about marriage today. Oh, yeah. The, the mood you entered, church, will likely be the mood that you're in it, and the mood you entered your marriage if you are married, and the mood if you're single that you'll enter your marriage is likely the mood that you'll stay in it. I'm also speaking about sex today, yeah. and it's going to get real, <laughs> and if you've got kids in here, they ought to be in venue kids, and we warned you. Yeah. If you've got youth in here, look, I think that it's probably safer for them to learn about sex from me, who's going to preach out of the Word of God, than from their 13-year-old buddy who doesn't know anything about anything, because they're going to hear it somewhere, so you might as well let them hear it right. And this is a sermon that has not come out of something uh, that I need more of sex from my wife. Uh, it's going to get more awkward, so you all start laughing here. It's going to help you. It's going to help you. This is a sermon that we have been 20 years of mistakes in the making. And so this is... <laughs> I feel like that just got everything real awkward and stole my confidence. Listen, fully half of our marriage was not fulfilling in the way that it should have been, and we got a lot of stuff wrong. So you can pick it up from, this is like a joint sermon, from the heart of God to you, from Pastor Corey and Pastor Aaron. She just doesn't like being on stage, and she would be too embarrassed. And already in the first service, she was extremely embarrassed because of some of the things that I said. But I want you to know that, look, I watched the love of my life not be happy for half of our marriage in this area, and now she's happy, and I want to help you get happy too. So ladies... 
It's okay, just relax. What's he going to say? You don't know. It's going to be good for you. I'm going to preach right out of the scriptures today. Can you say, if you're married, that you entered marriage in the right mood? I would suggest that some of it was right, but with this whole self-actualization after the enlightenment, that marriage is this place that I'm supposed to be happy in and find happiness and fulfillment. Well, if you enter marriage with the mood that it's the other person's job to make you happy and to fulfill your dreams, well, that's what the other person thought about you. And so what happens is then I enter my marriage thinking it's your job to serve me and I'll be happy when you do. And she enters the marriage thinking, well, if you serve me and make me happy, then I'll be happy and then I'll serve you. But what if we have the whole thing upside down? Hey, if you're your first time at venue today, welcome to church. <laughs> we talk about sex every week in church. And don't you write me an email. I have people who screen those anyways. Listen. <laughs> Listen, Dr. Eva Ritvo from the the, uh, psychologytoday.com wrote this called The Neuroscience of Giving. Proof that helping others helps you. She says, uh, she starts her article by saying the happiness trifecta. I'm going to show you how to be happy. Are you ready through science? Here we go. Helping others, she says, triggers a release of oxytocin. Not oxycodone. I kept getting the two of those mixed up. (laughs) And it was going to mess you up. And so Ehlers came in and saw me researching on the computer. I'm like, I'm going to mix up oxytocin and oxycodone, which is oxy, which is a drug that... But I got it. It's oxytocin. It will not trigger release of oxycodone. Oxytocin, which, ready? Helping others, which has the effect of boosting your mood. Well, I'm not happy, Pastor Corey. I'll show you how to get control of it. You're welcome through science, because I'm a huge researcher of science. (laughs) Boosting your mood, and it counteracts, it fights against the effects of cortisol, which is the dreaded stress hormone. I'm too stressed out, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm like, "I, I, I know that you have stress in your life, and I'll show you how to fight it and boost your mood. You ready? Help somebody. And it says this. Interestingly, the higher your levels of oxytocin, which you only get by helping people in this particular sense, the higher your, it's not like you only get them from that, but helping others gets you that. Interestingly, the higher your levels of oxytocin, the more you want to help others. So the only solution for not wanting to help others is helping others, and you'll want to. And all the girls are like, he's going to spin this into sex, isn't he? Yeah. Just get the awkward over out of the way right now. When oxy, it says this, when oxytocin is boosted, so are serotonin and dopamine. Um, And in medicalnewstoday.com, it said this, dopamine regulates mood and muscle movement. Okay, so oxytocin, when you help somebody, it boosts your mood and it gets it up here. And now what happens is, uh, is the next thing that when it's high and oxytocin is high, it releases dopamine, which regulates it, meaning it stays here. It keeps it from getting like manic crazy and it keeps it from getting down. So you boost it by helping somebody and then it releases something else that helps you keep it there. And muscle movement and plays a vital role in the brain's pleasure and reward systems. So I'm not happy, I'm not experiencing pleasure in my life. Serve others, help others. 
It has to do with your pleasure and reward systems. And then it says this, um, serotonin helps, regu- helps regulate mood again. Body temperature. We got any hot and cold people? You always got a blanket around? I don't know if it's going to actually do, help you with that. But then it says, and appetite. But let's talk about your mood today. Here's the assumption. We've been breaking down assumptions, particularly in marriage, but this is good for everybody. Here's the assumption that you entered your marriage with likely, and that's this, that mood is a thing that just is. I can't control it. Which means I'm, I'm, my mood is a product of my circumstance, but we also know in other studies that your circumstance only accounts for about 10% of your happiness. Not 100%. 10%. So there's something else that will make you happy, but it's not your circumstance. And so mood is a thing that just is. If you say that to yourself, it's terribly unempowering. So I'm going to give you some power today. I can't control it. Okay, so y'all didn't have my dad. Anybody know Pastor Richard? Yeah, he's so awesome. He spent like 30 years pastoring people, and um, now he does it for free. And he helps you, and he's, help, he's just great dad, great pastor, my, my mom as well, and, um, and the, y'all didn't have the benefit of growing up in the home that I grew up in, in the whole idea of like, some of you walk around in bad moods all the time, well we didn't, do you know why? Because we weren't allowed to. <laughs> Who knew you could not allow it in yourself? We'd go to church on Sunday morning, be like dragging in and be all grumpy, and he'd be like, hey, smile little buddy. Clap. Clap louder. Sing louder. Put a smile on your face. Be in a good mood. Huh. You didn't get that training? I got that training. I asked my dad one time, because pastoring people is really difficult, because you tend to see people at their worst. So it's one thing to throw somebody in jail. It's another thing to rehabilitate them. (laughs) And there's a lot of weird dark stuff and black stuff in your brain and in your heart. And sometimes pastors were kind of at the forefront of helping you get free and clean. But when that happens, you also fall under a lot of stress of the people around you and you tend to pick up their burden. But also when somebody's marriage falls apart and it took them 20 years to destroy it and you've been trying to pastor them for two months, then when their marriage falls apart, then they tend to get mad at you because getting angry is easier than getting sad. Like, it doesn't take a lot of courage to get mad. It's just, it gives you this weird little negative energy where being sad just drains your energy. But sometimes you've got to be sad and just have to have the courage to be sad. Sometimes you get mad at the very people trying to help you. And so some of the, the things that were said about my dad growing up and the rumors and the lies. And, the, and I remember being a kid being like, Dad, you're not any of these things that pe- some people say that you are. And I asked him, how come, the, how come you're not bitter and angry? Like some of these people, some they're bitter and angry, but they don't have people like them lying and cheating and betraying them. And I'm like, how come you're not bitter and angry? And you know what he said to me? It clicked a switch in my head. And I hope that I, uh, your head can have a click this morning. My wife's always telling me that her head clicks because she used to play a lot of soccer and head the ball, and then her brain started clicking is what she would say. And I'm like, baby, I don't think scientifically that that's a thing, but... Sometimes your brain needs to click. And he said to me, son, I decided a long time ago that it was better than the alternative. And I'm like, well, what's the alternative? And he said, being six feet in the ground. Well, he's not wrong. (laughs) Am I right? 
Like, huh, he decided before he entered situations where he could be hurt that whatever happened was going to be better than his alternative. He told himself how to think about it, and then what happened was when he got into a bad situation, he was already in a good mood, or in as good a mood as he could be in, so that he could bring his joy to bear in the situation. Now, I asked him also one time, because you might say, well, Pastor, you don't know my circumstance in my childhood, and you may have had it really hard, but do you really want to be in a bad mood the rest of your life because of something that somebody did to you? Here's my dad's childhood that, that maybe after hearing this, you would go back to your childhood and enjoy it a little bit more. But my dad's uh, dad was sick. So I mean like real sick. And so um, by the time dad was 14, he was the oldest boy in a family of nine kids. And his next youngest brother was five years older than him. So by the time my dad was 14, he was like doing a lion's share of work on the farm already. By the time he was 14, because you had to get the crops in or you didn't make it through the winter good motivation. And so um, I asked him one time, I said, Dad, how is it that, like, did you ever feel like you missed your childhood? And you know what he said to me in typical Richard Cope fashion? He says, nah, he says, I like working. (laughs) Brain click. And that's how I entered my career. Every job that I ever had, I like working. You know, I got thinking about my, the careers that I've had, and, uh, and I've tried to think of days that I got to do everything that I enjoyed doing, because the younger you are, the more I think you're looking for that kind of a job, but it doesn't exist. <laughs> my boss is helping me find myself. I'm like, my boss didn't really care about that all that much. He just wanted me to do some stuff. And so I tried to think of days in my life that I just really loved at work, and I couldn't really think of anything where I was doing things that fulfilled me as a human and made me happy. You know why? Because I was already happy because I went there with it. Some of y'all aren't happy in your marriage because you weren't happy before you got married, and then you thought that getting married would make you happy, just like you thought that having kids would make you happy. All you single people are like, oh. They're terrible parents. Oh, shut up. <laughs> you don't even know. We think to ourselves, though, that, look, the higher I climb at work, then the more happier I'll be. Because when I start at the bottom of the ladder, then I have to serve all these people. Like, I have to go and get coffee, and I have to do all the garbage work and clean up stuff and hand tools to my boss. And I have to be at the bottom of the ladder. And they look very important. And someday I'm going to add value like they add value to the company because they do add val- more value than I do. And they also get paid more than I do. And wouldn't that be nice? And, and the higher you climb the ladder, sometimes the, then the higher your quality of life goes. You sit at the bottom of the ladder where you have to serve everybody and you watch everybody up above you getting served and, and having other people who go and do the things that come into their heads. And you think to yourself, well, if I had more vacation time and if I added more value and made more money and had people that served me, then I would be happier. Right? But the thing is, that won't make you happy either. Do we have any bosses of any companies here that are like, yes, my dreams were fulfilled when I became my own boss. (laughs) And I got to go to work shorter. And I get more vacation time. And you might get some of those things, but man, you got all the headaches too. Every little girl wants to be a mom until you're a mom, and then you find out. The higher I climb the ladder. 
the, the higher my quality of life, well, then I must be happy, right? And you think to yourself, well, but pastor, nobody serves me, and I haven't climbed the ladder anywhere in my family. In fact, I'm the last kid. I get the last of, okay. But here's the truth about your life versus your life 120 years ago. <laughs> Somebody's like, they made a time machine? I'm sure that they have. I've watched movies about it. Anyways, don't get me distracted. So 120 years ago, if you wanted to go uh, to, to bed, see, here's the difference in your life 120 years ago versus your life right now. Your life right now, you are snatching at happiness and you are trying to get everybody to make you, you are looking for happiness now. 120 years ago, your main purpose in life would be to not die. Like, I wonder what I should do today, not die. It's not like I wonder if I'll be happy. No, no, it's I hope that I don't die today. So I, it's wintertime in Alberta, and it's 120 years ago, and if I'm lucky enough to have a roof over my head and I don't want to die tonight, i got to go out and chop some wood for a fire. So then about two hours later, I get the wood, and I've used steel and flint, and however Quinn does it, I don't know. And he, you know, you know what I mean? Like old country... And two hours later, my, my little shack starts heating up. And then every hour or two during the night, if I don't want my children to die, I want my children to have every opportunity. Well, back then it was like, yes, here's your opportunity. Don't die. Please don't die. So we get up every hour or two every night and put another log on the fire. And then if you wake up in the morning, and you might take offense to this, but I don't know how many vegetarians and vegans there were back then because there's six feet of snow everywhere. What are you, you can't eat pine trees, you'll die. And your whole objective is to not die. So you might not have been that healthy, but what are you going to eat? You walk out of your house and you look around and squirrel and... <laughs> look, I got to make the, got to put a little awkward in here because it's going to get awkward later and I just want to re relax you a little bit. You think to yourself that the higher the ladder and the higher my quality of life goes and the more people that serve me, the happier I'll be. But that will not make you happy. The more people that serve you will not make you happy. Listen, you are served a thousand times a day by people. There's a thousand people who somehow serve you so that you have the quality of life that you have and you're still not happy. Meaning, uh, you want rice tonight? You don't have a rice patty in your backyard. You go to the grocery store and somebody has packaged it and put it there and your job enables you to purchase it but you didn't package it, you didn't have the factory that packaged it, you didn't have the truck that, and the driver that got it there, and you didn't, and you didn't, and you didn't, and you didn't make the car that you drive in, and you, and, and we're so lazy that we go to the wall and turn a magic stick a little bit to the right, and our houses warm up. And you don't do anything. But, Thousands of people in a gas company have refined it, delivered it, put it into your house. Other people have put a furnace in. You have been served. A, th a thousand people serve you a day, and you're still not happy. So I climb the ladder. I'm not happy. My quality of life goes through the roof. I'm not happy. The more people that serve me, I'm not happy. The more value I add to the company will not make me happy. None of these things will make you happy because the quality of life is going up but happiness is going down. Can I have some water please? Thank you very much. Give Jason a hand. Thanks buddy. He helps me out. 
So here, here's the assumption that I enter marriage in is that my marriage will make me happy. My marriage will make me happy, that's why I'm getting married. That's not the purpose of marriage. You enter so that the other person can serve you and make you happy. That's not how you were made. That's not how God made you. Here's a quote that I want you to get into your spirit and get into your heart. You ready? The only thing that will make me happy is serving. Serving you makes me happy. It's the only thing that will. Watch. Serving you makes me happy. Being served only makes me feel important. Some of you have missed that. You're seeking importance. And you think that importance is the same thing as happiness, but the more important you feel and the higher you climb, the less happy you are because importance and happiness are not the same thing. They're just not. Being served makes you feel important. Serving makes you happy. But some of us, we want to, everybody to serve us because we just want to be the top dog and we want to be whatever and we just want every, and we feel important, but the more people that serve you, the less, the less happy that you end up feeling. You feel very important, but not very happy. But then others of us, we're so proud in a different way that, that we can't let somebody help us, but you deprive somebody of the gift of happiness when you won't let them serve you. Because, like, I'm as independent as they come. Like, I got it. I got nothing but energy. I can buy my own cup of coffee. I can... But this is something that I'm learning how to do in my family even. So uh, we'll eat a meal and sometimes we'll watch Judge Judy. <laughs> Judge Judy. I just like somebody who doesn't care what you think. Shocking. Old grumpy lady that's like, oh, she can figure it out though. And so anyways, we watch Judge Judy. And then after my meal is done, I always want a toothpick. Now, I can, the fastest way to get a toothpick is to get off my rear end and get a toothpick. And some of y'all need to get off your rear end to get your own toothpick. But here's the thing. I got lots of energy, and I do serve my family in a lot of ways. But so what I end up doing is I've just got into this habit. I'm like, I just asked one of my daughters, hey, could you get me a toothpick? Well, you, you selfish man. No, you understand. Like, well, would you get me a toothpick, please? And, um, and then one of my girls will get, get me a toothpick. Why? Because serving makes them happy. And the only way they'll serve and want to serve is if they start. Oh, you think I'm joking? No. Serving people makes you happy. And serving people makes you want to serve people more, which makes you happier. And then I don't take the time that I use the toothpick and that I saved in going to get the toothpick to feel very important. I use the time to serve them. This is what I do. This is just going to help somebody. This is what I do. You do it for your boss with a cup of coffee. I use that time to say, I love you and you're my favorite. <laughs> and they're like, I know. I always get you toothpicks. And I serve them as a father serves their child, and I compliment them for doing well. Because kids don't want compliments for doing nothing, and neither do you. And they had to do something to get a compliment, and they did it, and they did it well. And I'm like, you're going to make a great wife one day. I know it. You're going to be amazing. You're going to be a great mom. And I serve them, and they serve me. But see, they serve me first, and then I... And I don't deprive them of the gift of happiness by allowing them to serve me, something that I could do for myself. Now, the purpose of marriage, as we get right into marriage, the purpose of marriage in, in my life, in my purpose of my marriage to Erin is emotionally serving her. 
Now, I didn't enter thinking like that, and I had a healthier family than you had. And I didn't necessarily think like that. I would have said that because it sounded good on paper, but it's not how I thought and how I felt. So I end, now what I have to do is I have to understand it's my job to serve her spiritually, serve her physically, serve her emotionally. Not that she's God, she's not God, which means that sometimes I have to serve her spiritually, man, by like if something's out of alignment with God, I have to speak up. You don't honor somebody by lying. I got to speak up sometimes and be like, baby, I don't think that that's what God said. I don't think that your life looks altogether that good right now. And I open myself up to correction too because I don't want people to lie to me because they're not friends anyways. So it's to serve the other person. But when you have it backwards, what you end up doing is like, look, this is what you, this is what you and I say. We say, make me happy, Aaron, by serving me. And then out of the surplus of love, I'll serve you and make you happy. And if you wait and get it backwards, you'll get it wrong and nobody will be happy. So like, I'll serve you. No, 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 no. That's what Jesus said. We serve the other person and do it first. It'll make you happy. And we're like, I'm waiting for them to serve me so that, so that I can be happy because being served makes me happy. But Jesus is like, it doesn't. Serving makes you happy. And which means you have to serve before your love tank is filled. How do you think it gets filled up? By being served, it won't make you happy. When you serve, it fills your love tank. The Holy Spirit just fixed somebody's marriage. When you serve, it fills your love tank. When you're served, it makes you feel important. There's a difference. And, and this gets me to a spot that I just want to touch on just really quickly. I was sharing with some people last night. The beauty about marriage and about our marriage is its exclusivity, meaning there's only her. Like, all y'all can be in a room, but you know what? Like, I love you as sisters in God. But because you're my sisters in God, I don't think about you when you're not here. <laughs> Preach it, Corey. Preach it. You might be cute, but I don't care. That's creepy. <laughs> you know who I get creepy with? Her. Yeah. I think about it. Man, I'm going to see you, and you're going to be wearing some form of outfit. I hope you're wearing clothes at church today. That's all our dress code is, is just wear clothes, please. And you're going to be wearing something, and 10 minutes later, I'm not going to remember what you look like. Why? Because by the grace of God, I have to discipline every inch of my eyes and my heart and my emotions that there is only her. Only her body, only her emotions, and the devil will get in there and try to trick you by showing you other people and other people, and other, but they got problems too. And if I leave her, I'm going to go and take this problem into the next one, and I'm still not going to be happy because God gave me her, and the moment that I said I do, God was in it. And God can redeem it, and God can help it, and God can... And we have had years of marriage hell, so don't you sit there and judge me like we don't know what we're talking about with pain, because we had pain, and we had pain on top of pain on top of pain, but by the grace of God, I can still be happy in the midst of it. And so, exclusivity. I think about you as a sister in Christ. I'll hug you at church. Hey, how you doing? I'll go to war for you. I'll fight the devil for you. I will help protect you. If your husband's a crazy person, that's what church is for too. Come on. You get protection. You'd be like, hey, watch it. You're talking to a sister of mine. But I don't think about her when she's not here. Sorry. I don't lay awake at night thinking about my brother. Like, 
He's a good dude. Wonder what Ryan's up to. Then I'll go back to watching Judge Judy. <laughs> I think about what Aaron's wearing sometimes. Like, I wonder what she's wearing. Oh, wait. Y'all don't even know where this is going. First Corinthians 7, Paul the Apostle starts in with this thing. You think that, here's the problem in, in church, we have not been talking about sex enough. Because they talked about it in the early church. And they're talking about it at your kid's school, and they're talking about it at work, but nobody knows anything about sex except for the God who created it. So why don't we get into it? Because you're looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Here's Paul says, now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me, think, what's actually happening? First, he says, is it a good thing to have sex What was in this letter? <laughs> You're thinking like, oh, these are good church people. These are not good church people. Here's Corinth. Here's the city that he wrote to. He didn't go where there were churches. He started them. This is where he went. Corinth was the largest city in Greece. 100,000 people or so. They worshipped a god you might have heard of before called Aphrodite. The hot one. <laughs> Awkward laughter. In some other research, there's thinking that there could have been as many as a thousand temple prostitutes in the city, meaning this is how worship used to look. You go to the altar, I guess that would be a way to get offerings up. Listen, this is society, and this is not different than society now, where sex and religion are all kind of mixed together, but nobody's having any fun anymore. And you, you go to worship, and then you're serviced by this temple prostitute because your body is just physical, and it's not. It'll make me happy, but it won't. It'll be fun, yes, but it will not make you happy. And, and Paul's, this is the letter that he's opened from the Corinthians. These people are like legit off the street, and Paul's like, oh my. Oh, and they put drawings in, oh Lord. Cool, 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 cool. No doubt, no doubt, oh my goodness, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. He says, okay, first of all, is it good to have sex? And then he says, certainly. Let's, he's like, let's bring God's culture into this thing because this culture is not working for them. He says, certainly, but only within a certain context. Meaning, you'll only find happiness in it here. And, I'm, and they're like, tell us because it's not working. We're not happy. We don't know what we're doing. They've tried everything that you can think of in your twisted mind and it's not working. They're not happy. They're not fulfilled. And Paul's like, I know what to do. Here, certainly, but only within a certain context. Here we go. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. There you go. He says sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. But he's saying only in marriage. So he's saying this, your marriage has to be passionate. Sexual drives are strong. has to be passionate, but it has to be disciplined. It is contained here. It is only found here. Ladies, I'm telling you, the highest percentage of sexual satisfaction are marriages who go to church together. For ladies, I'm telling you. Woo, thank you, Pastor Corey. It's no problem. Look, here, this is where, he's saying this is where it's found. See, some of your, the passion, the sex drive, and the discipline, but some of you guys are way too disciplined about your sex life. That's what you're calling it, but you're not passionate. You're missing 50% of it. And he says the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. What? I thought this was about me getting my sexual needs met. No, no. 
The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband, not herself, not himself. What? This is all new to them. They're like, tell us more because this could actually work. This is the opposite of what we've been doing. Then he says, marriage is, you're not going to like this, but I don't care. He says, marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Let somebody else stand up for it. Because if you're standing up for your rights, then maybe God can't. This is why you need community too. Because community protects marriages. You try to deal with all the problems in your house and the four walls that you live in, it will not work. And it did not work for us. It will not work for you. This is where you get your, your marriage and your family out into the open and into the community of Christ. Not every community because some of this community is, looks like this messed up. And he says this, marriage is, right out of the book of Richard Cope, is a decision to serve. How did he know? Oh, maybe God made you. To serve the other, whether in bed or out. He says, abstaining from sex is permissible because they were asking specific questions. For a period of time, if you both agree to it, and if it is for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times, then come back together again. I'm going to translate this in, in. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. Okay. Meaning, meaning, if you're abstaining for sex and you both didn't agree to it, it's called sin. And you're withholding it from the other person. Quit being selfish and greedy. Where do you want them to go to find it? Exclusivity, meaning if they don't get it from you, they don't get it. That's what you want, Right? So it's this idea of like, okay, but, and then Paul's like, okay, but only if you both agree to it, which means you need to be having a lot of sex because it protects you. And then he said, the devil will trick you. And some of you are tricked in your minds right now because you think you have to be in the mood for it. But you only get in the mood for it by getting in the mood for it. This makes no sense. That's why you're not happy. And then he says, then come back together again. Like, okay, but so, so if you both agree to it, but only if you got, y'all are using that time for prayer and fasting, not watching Netflix. It's like, normally we like, okay, but we're going to prayer and fast right now, and we both agreed to this, because, you know, we're getting a little bit, okay, and we need to bring it back in, okay. But those are the only times, he says, that you should be abstaining from it. And then he says this, I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Then he says, sometimes I wish everyone were single like me, a simpler life in many ways, but celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. Now, he's talking about sex and marriage only. That is his context. There is no other context here that will make you happy. God gives the gift of single life to some and the gift of married life to others, meaning whatever stage you're in, consider it a gift from God, please. Because I know you really want a baby, but when you get a baby, it's not going to feel like a gift sometimes. You have, it's your mood, it's your mindset, it's how you come into it that will help you with it. And so, he says this, I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best for them as it has been for me, but if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. Then he says, the difficulties of marriage, and he's like, I, I know, it's hard, are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. And then he says something, and I'm going to say to you, and he says, and if you are married, stay married. And he says, this is the master's command, not mine. But pastor, you don't know, you don't know. Okay, Jesus just said something. 
the Master Jesus. When he says something, you have to listen. But Pastor, you don't know this. Okay, listen, I have, I have dealt with hard abuse. I have, we have, we protect. We, that's what the body of Christ is for. Counsel, protect, yes. And some of the things that I've had to do would shock you, but you'd be like, yes, you stood up for victims. You, okay, but he's still saying, if you're married, stay married, because look, you're not going to be happier if you leave, because you're not happier there. And you weren't happier before that. You just think that you were, and the devil just tells you that you were, but you weren't. The problem is not that your marriage is unhappy. The problem is that you are unhappy. And the reason you're unhappy is because you're not serving, which means, which means this whole thing of this mood thing. Get yourself in the mood for worship when you come. Get yourself in the mood for sex. Pastor Erin's been nervous all week about what I'm going to say because she doesn't know. It's my job to get myself in the mood, which means I can't go to bed at night with pepperoni on my breath and, you know, in my beard, smelling and stinking, and then watch some violent movie where people are getting stabbed in the eyes, because that's probably not going to work for her. God is commanding you. It protects you. It makes everything easier. It will keep, the machine in your life is not working because there's no oil in it. And sex is like this, oh, when it's great, then, you know, I can be struggling financially and it'll still be okay and I can, but how do we get there? Not by selfishly going after it for myself, but by serving the other person, which means I have to get myself in the mood for it, which means during the day I'm thinking about her. Like, hey, I wonder if we should. You got to come up with some code because you're not allowed to say the word sex. You want to know what my code is? That's super embarrassing. We came up with this a long time ago because... I'm just like, can we spend some time together? <laughs> that doesn't mean spend time together, like it kind of does. But. So I have to learn to be open with my needs because it's good for the marriage. Girls, I'm just going to say this. God gave your husband a, clicking to- a, a, a ticking clock. <laughs> and every time that his, listen, exclusive, he finds it in you, he emotionally connects there. Every so often, every so often, God gave you a natural clock that could connect your husband more to you, but some of you aren't answering the call of God. Can I be honest? He gave you something that your husband is supposed to be contained here. It's supposed to be met. But you have to get yourself in the mood, which means some of y'all go to bed with way too many clothes on. (laughs) Nobody wants to hang out with your grandma in bed. Three pairs of sweats and like shirts and snuggies. Do you know what snuggies are? Oh my goodness, marriage wreckers. Man, you have got to like prepare your... Sometimes I'll be like, Aaron, you look hot, but I can't see any of it because you've got all this stuff on. Like, I don't suppose that you could... She's such a great wife. I'm going to get in so much trouble with all this. Listen, listen, you have got to be whatever mood you have to be in. Playful, fun, adventuresome, tender. Loving, compassionate. Why do you think we have so many kids? It's because she can't keep her hands off of me. I'm just like, I'm not lying. I'm just like, babe, I just want to snuggle. That's all I want. And it's just not enough. (laughs) She read a book one time that... (laughs) She read a book one time that it was it's called Sex Starts in the Kitchen, I think, and 
I know what that means. Like, if you do the dishes for me, then I'll be in the mood, which is not necessarily true, I think. But she said it to me a couple of months ago, and I'm like, you want to go down to the kitchen? Right? <laughs> She's like, he's such an idiot. <laughs> there has to be this openness about it. We're making the other person beg us and have to come up with words. We've got to make it easy. We've got to make it fun. We've got to make it accessible for the other person so that she doesn't have to be all like, I just wish that you would have just, you know, and I make her beg for it. And no, no. It's just, my kids are going to be in therapy for the next... How come you're not eating? Well, my dad preached and he said the word sex in the kitchen and I just can't go in the kitchen anymore. <laughs> but the more you do, the more you'll want to. The more you do, the more you'll want to. But if you don't, you won't want to. And until you learn to serve the other person in bed, you're not going to be happy either. This is not just about you. This is about what God made you to, and God's way of bringing you together and making you happy. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here that they would forgive me for speaking the word of God like I should and saying what they're all thinking anyways. But Father, you have a way of uh, sometimes in laughter bringing uh, to light our insecurities and our fears our inabilities and our failure. You bring them to light and you somehow wash them away by the blood of Jesus and you give us a fresh start and a new start and you change our, our ideas and our hearts and, and I ask for a heart change for every person here today that we would take it upon ourselves to get ourselves in the mood to fulfill the word of God and to really uh, learn how to be happy by serving other people in every area of our lives all for the glory of God in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.